Check one, check one, check. Okay. The reading is from John chapter 1, starting at verse 35, going through 50. The next day, Jesus was standing again with two of his disciples. Sorry, let me start that again. The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He replied, Come and see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, Follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Peter and Andrew. Sorry, Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nazareth, replied Nathanael. Can anything good be from Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into this. Our third week in John, um, and. We're looking at God's Word. We're challenging you to become biblically literate. That's one of our goals for this year. And I want to say it to you a different way. Listen to this. The great protector of the church is the Bible. That's really true, that the great protector of God's church is the Bible. The church can get going in all different directions. And if you're a big history person, you love to study history, you'll know at times the church went awry in different decisions they made and how they, they lived out. But the Bible constantly brings us back. If you love the Reformation, Martin Luther, all that time period, you can go study it on your own if you like that stuff. You'll see it's drawing back to the Bible. That's what the Reformation was all about. And so our drive this year to become biblically literate is not for you to listen to more sermons, right? I mean, I'm happy to preach them every day if you'd like to come to the church. But that's not the goal. The goal is for you to get in God's word yourself, which is why on Sunday mornings we're asking you, 
I'm not going to be a lazy preparer for you, I promise. I'm going to work real hard. Some weeks at the end of the Sunday morning, I go like, Tom, you better work harder next week. You know, so I'm not always, uh, always pleased. <laughs> I'm a little critical of myself. You don't be a lazy listener as well. Open God's word. Put your own eyes on it. That's why we've provided Bibles for you. Or if you'd like to do it digitally, no problem. That's fine too. Just look at your Bible app. Or if you want to use a browser, BibleGateway.com is a way there as well. And you can go grab this passage in John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. So let's take a look at this. Now, there is no way I can get through everything in this passage. There's no way you want me to get through everything in this passage because it will not be 25 minutes. But I want to just kind of give you an overview, an idea of like what we're actually seeing here that we may not always see when we look at this. Now, uh, for you Star Wars fans, any in here this morning? Yeah, you, a few of you, all right. Um, 1977 through 1999 was some pretty good years for you Star Wars fans, right? You didn't have a lot to complain about. 1977, your first movie came out, and you, I mean, you lived off those first three movies pretty well, right? But you wanted to know what happened to lead up to that first movie, right? And we all did, they're about my age or so. What happened? We all love prequels, don't we? We want to know what happened. Well, Star Wars fans, you got them, right? 1999, you got your first prequel. You got Jar Jar Binks and all of it, right? And you'd wish you had never asked that question, right, when those came out. Now, I realize, you younger folks, right, you love those movies, and you don't think about it the same way. Uh, but if you live the first three movies, you don't look at those other movies. But you got your prequel, right, because we wanted to know. Well, that's kind of what this passage is. John's going to let us know something because we think of the 12 uh, apostles, the 12 disciples. In fact, we see them all through the Gospels. Then we see them in the book of Acts. They go out and do amazing things. If you love studying church history, you get even more things that aren't in the book of Acts about the disciples. It's not just like the phrase I used to hear was, they went to the known world as if other parts of the world were not known. They just, they're just not shown up in the book of Acts. Um, they actually went to all the parts of the world. We, we learn if you want to study history and study beyond the book of Acts, who were these people though? And the question this morning to ask is, how did the disciples become disciples? How did that happen in the first place? It would be like me saying this this morning. How did you end up in the church? How did you end up a Christian or a believer? How did you end up at Windover Hills? That kind of question. How do these disciples become disciples? Hey, here's the easy generalization answer. I've used it many times. Well, God called them. Jesus called them, right? In fact, some of the headings of our passages, including this one this morning, uh, said what? What's the heading? So you read it. It's okay if you got the Bible. Jesus calls his disciples. Yeah, so we just think Jesus called. Well, in a general sense, that's true. And in a general sense, every single one of you that's here this morning, uh, we had a really nice group in the first service too, so these services are growing. Um, in, in a general sense, God called you. That's how you became a Christian. That's how you got to church. That's how you got to Wendover Hills. But what's the real story? Well, that's what this passage is all about. It tells us. And I look at this, and when I get the real story, I'm actually challenged by something too. I'm challenged to find out how does God make disciples. And we see it happens in several different ways. That's what we're going to find out this morning. And I think there's a challenge for each of us. So grab your Bible. We're going to hit through. Now, I cheated a little bit this morning. Uh, 
I did not realize at the very end that I had left some passages on the sermon notes for you. You know, I've been telling you, you got to open up the Bible. I'm not going to give them to you, um, but I did. So you get a few this morning. Um, now, a good Bible study person this morning, this morning, say, well, I'm just going to ignore those on the paper. I'm going to look at my own Bible, right? And I will cheer you and be proud of you this morning. But there are some on there, so you can track uh, on some of these. So here's the first question. How did the disciples become the disciples? Let's look at some passages, right? First John 1 35. It says this, the next day John was standing again with two of his disciples. Wait a second, John had disciples? I thought he was just a crazy old guy out in the desert, right? Baptizing people. Another uh, one of the gospels says he, he was out there. He had wild hair. He ate honey and locusts. Sounds like, you know, kind of a weirdo out there. He had disciples. If you are out baptizing, if your job, like we learned last week, is to usher in Jesus, is to point people to Jesus, and you're baptizing people, preparing them for the new, that's what we learned last week, right? You're going to have people that are like, I want to follow. I want to help. Can I stick around? Can you put me to work? There's all kinds of things. You would have followers, people that wanted to be close. So John did, right? And if John is pointing the way to Jesus, it would make sense that the next part of this would happen. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And what happened? The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed. Once they saw Jesus and Jesus was pointed out, they were done with John, right? Not because they didn't like John, right? He's no good now. But that's the purpose. That's the reason. That's the person to follow. Listen, uh, we're actually enamored in our culture today with the celebrity pastor, right? I mean, they're all over the place, different celebrities, pastors, right? And, and there's great followings. And that's fine to listen to someone, to follow and say, man, I was really impacted by that. You know, or I listen to their sermons every day. No problem. But we want to be reminded, and John shows us here, that it's always about pointing us to say, Jesus is there. That's who I should be following. This person is preparing me and helping me to be a follower of Jesus. That's my role as your pastor, to shepherd you and care for you, but to point you to Jesus. Not to me, right? I can be a help. Your help maybe to somebody else along the path as well, right? Pastor Eddie over here has been ministering longer than, than I have, right? So, I mean, we're both young guys, but longer than I have. And that's what his role has been the whole time. And so John's reminding us here, my role is not for you to follow me as if I was some Messiah. Go follow Jesus. Go follow him. And so his disciples leave, and they follow him. John has done a very good job preparing them to follow Jesus and not to follow him. So the first thing we learn here is disciples become disciples by the direction of someone who's trusted. They trust John. They trust his message, and they will follow now Jesus because of it. You know who it was for me? It's my youth pastor, Mark Wilson, in high school. My parents dropped me off at the youth program because they weren't going to let me be around the house all summer. So they said, the new youth pastor's coming, go to the youth group, you guys can do something there. Didn't know a soul, dropped us off. Within a couple years, it was so clear that Mark Wilson thought something of me, built into me, allowed me to kind of hang around. We popped by his office after church, and think, or after school, hanging out at the, the church office after school, you know, what a weirdos. But that's what we were doing, Right? And it became so clear to me that he loved Jesus and that he loved me and cared for me and was building into me. So it made sense that eventually I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And I said yes to Jesus. 
I didn't understand everything about Christianity and Jesus at the time, but this is a person that modeled it in front of me. And so the direction of somebody who's trusted. Do you have a story like that too? Did somebody usher you or bring you along in the process? Or after you said yes to Jesus, did somebody help you along to understand it more? That's how people become disciples. People help other people be disciples. This setting right here, me preaching, you listening, praise team singing, you singing, this does not necessarily create disciples. It's just part of the, the, the cog or the system. But people help people become disciples. And that's what's going on here. This trusted person is speaking into them. And I wonder this, who's speaking into your life? Do you have a spiritual mentor? Do you have somebody that's kind of you allow to speak into you, to be blunt with you, right? To challenge you, to encourage you. It's not always fun, but do you have a spiritual mentor in your life? So important to find somebody that will speak into your life. On the flip side, do you have somebody you're building into as well? Ah, I don't really know enough Bible, you know, I don't know. And I'm like, dude, you've been in the church for 20 years. You don't know enough yet to tell somebody else something, right? You know, if you messed around with cars for 20 years, you probably at least know how to change oil, right? Tell somebody else how to change oil. It's, it's, it's us building into someone else too. So that's part of it. That's how people become disciples. That's how the disciples became disciples. Let's read on. First John 40. One of the disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was named Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. You know him as Peter, right? So you know this guy. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. So you just read it. What happened first? Andrew went and found a family member. Made sense. Go ask your family. Go, go tell your family about what just happened. Now, we've had an interesting, um, uh, oh, where we've lived, because I left California for grad school. I went to Kentucky. Didn't know a soul in Kentucky, right? Lord bless that. I met my wife. We got married. And then we decided, well, let's leave this place and we'll go to Arizona, we didn't know a soul in Arizona, but God blessed, great ministry, eight years, we love being there. And then God led us to Chicago, and I coached college baseball for a few years. We didn't know a soul when we moved in, and we moved in in the middle of the winter. I don't recommend that if you're moving to Chicago. So, um, but it was a great, you know, we learned a lot of things, challenging three years, but we learned a lot of stuff. And then God just put in my heart this desire to be back in ministry, be in the church, and uh, I came here. I've been here 11 years. My first phone call with with uh, Rich Brindle, the ch vice chairman of the board. I had never been a senior pastor before. His first words were, uh, we're really just looking for people with senior pastor experience. <laughs> I'm like, well, what are we talking about here? So, but the Lord opened up the door, and here we are, 11 years. Didn't know a soul, right, till we got here. So our interaction with being close to family is a little bit different. But when I got here, I understood really right away, uh, North Carolina people have family close. Like, like, family says, yeah, we all grew up in Thomasville. Parents are there. Parents are there. Yeah, they moved. They kind of moved away. They're up in Archdale now. And I'm like, moved away? You know, like, for, for us, moving away has been thousands of miles, you know? And uh, so that's kind of how they, they, they talk now, right? And you got family. Like, it's one of the first times where I'm like, uh, you, you didn't come to church because grandma was making lunch and you needed to get there for it. And like... And yeah, like that doesn't make sense to me. I get it now. Like I understand now because of the family dynamics. So what does Andrew do? He just goes and tells his brother. 
Yo, bro, check this out. We found the person we've been searching for, the Messiah. Now, let me tell you what that means. When they say Messiah, now here's what we do. We're 2,000 years later, so we take every term like that. We take Messiah, Christ, Son of God, all these terms that show up, we throw them all together and we say they mean the same thing. Not true. They are actually telling you what they believe about Jesus when they use these phrases. Or they believe what they believe at that moment. And so at this moment, what Andrew is saying is, I have found the Messiah, which actually translate directly, the one sent from God or the messenger sent from God is what Messiah actually means there. So the one we've been looking for, the one that's a messenger, I found that person. This person has a message from God that we need to hear. Now, that's a little bit different when you and I say Messiah, right? And we say, Messiah, you know, he came into the world, died on the cross, rose from the dead. If I ask for forgiveness, accept him in my heart, you know, I'm forgiven, I'll go to heaven. Like, we have all of that wrapped up. But right now, what he means is, it's a messenger sent from God. He has a word from God. We need to go follow this guy. That's what is meant right now by this term, Messiah or Christ. And so what do we learn? Simon follows. Jesus changes his name to Peter. Peter goes on to do some pretty cool things in the kingdom, right? So what's the second thing we learn here? How does disciples become disciples? They brought a family member along. Duh. They just went and told a family member. Hey, I went and told my brother. I mean, who is it for you? Who doesn't know Jesus? Mom, dad, brother, sister, some cousins. I mean, you, North Carolinas, you've got a lot of cousins. They're, they're all over the place, right? You don't even remember their names sometimes, right? Yeah, it's cousins, it's aunts, it's uncles, it's whatever. It's the person that just shows up at the family function. You're not even sure who they are, right? There's somebody that doesn't know. God has opened up this door, and guess what? You already have relationship with them. It's already there. Now, sometimes the danger is you have relationship with them. And sometimes we shy away from sharing Jesus with people we have had. I don't want the relationship to alter. So I don't want to say anything about Jesus, right? But you have these relationships, and this is an example. So the question here would just simply be, who's in your family that doesn't know Jesus? That'd be a pretty good thing to think about there. Let's move on. The next day, so they stayed the night. Remember, it was 4 o'clock is what it tells us. That's about two hours from dark, so they were not going to travel at night. So the next day, they wanted to go to Galilee. Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Now, it might be that Andrew and Peter said, hey, we know this guy. We think he's a good candidate. Let's go. We don't know. I don't want to over-talk what's in the scripture here, but it would make sense there based on what was just told us there. But here, Jesus takes the lead. Jesus goes up to Philip, and he says, follow me. And Philip does. Follow me. And he does. Now, you and I would think today, yeah, if Jesus walked up to me today, yeah, I mean, I'd do it, you know, follow the Japanese Jesus. Well, at this point, I mean, he's another guy, right? They're, They're being convinced that there's something more to him just being another guy. But Philip follows, leaves what he's doing and follows here. What we learn here is there's a direct call of Jesus, direct call from Jesus here. Like Jesus is speaking directly to him and calling him to be a follower of him. How did I become a minister? 
I'm sitting in class one day. I'm 17 years old. I had been a Christian about a year, maybe. I'm sitting in class, and the thought popped into my head as I was sitting there, you ought to go into the ministry. And I was like, I have never thought that before. That must be from God. And I said, all right, I'll do it, all right? And the desire to go to sport, be in sports law, sports lawyer, you know, drop contracts and some, switch just like that. I mean, literally like that. And I said, okay, I'll be a minister. I went to my youth pastor's office after school that day and said, I think, I think I'm supposed to be a minister now. I think God told me today to be a minister. You know? That wasn't weird to Pastor Mark at all. He's like, sounds about right. I think God had already told him that uh, in, in advance. That's a direct call from Jesus in my life. It's not always worked that way. Other times I've had people building into my life, speaking into me like we just talked about, but that was a direct call. Do you know what is needed for a direct call to happen? Proximity. That's the number one thing. You got to be close to Jesus. You have to put yourself in a position to hear from Jesus. If you wake up in the morning and you're up, shower, on the road, off to work, or whatever you do, school, uh, and and you don't consider pausing at all, looking at the scripture, pausing to have a moment with Jesus, a quiet time or something like this, it's pretty hard for Jesus to speak to your morning. You're pretty busy. If you roll through your day, boom, 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 pretty hard. If you decide, hey, Sunday's just another day, I got to get stuff done that day too, and the concept of Sabbath isn't even in your world, pretty hard to, put, to hear from Jesus if we keep drowning out those opportunities proximity is the number one thing. Number one thing. Now, you don't have to show up here at six in the morning. Well, I'm not here anyway. You'll have to be in the parking lot. But if you show up here, you don't have to hang out here 12 hours a day to hear from Jesus, right? We understand that. But you got to give him space in your life, proximity, to hear from him throughout the day. So a question here would be, uh, what kind of time are you spending with Jesus? What kind of time are you giving Jesus Maybe you come to church every week. That's awesome. What a great time. There's something special that happens here that is not duplicated the same way throughout the week. But you can keep, still spend time with Jesus throughout your week, your devotion time, your prayer time throughout the day. The Lord, Lord Jesus, help me today to speak words of hope to people today or help me today with my mouth or help me whatever. You're spending time with Jesus. So there's a direct call on your life from Jesus. But there's a final way that we see in this passage. And this is, um, this is what I'm going to call kind of the um, paperwork side of the job. Now, some of you I know love paperwork, like you geek out on paperwork. You are weirdos. So let's talk about the rest of us here. Um, you know you might have a job. You're doing something. Maybe you're building something. You know, maybe uh, uh, you know, Chris over here saves lives through technology at Moses Cone. At some point in time, it doesn't matter what job, you have to sit down and do some paperwork, right? You got to sit down and write a report. You got to sit down and do some billing paperwork. You got to do your tax. You got to do, eventually you got to do paperwork. And most of us that love doing this other part of the job don't enjoy sitting down and doing paperwork. But we tell ourselves, I got to get done, right? I just got to do it. And you push through it. Some of us think of this, this last one as the paperwork of being a Christian. And I just need to do it maybe once a year so the pastor can get off my back, right? Let's look at the passage. So, says this, um, we're, we're jumping forward a little bit in verse 45. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets. Pause there for a second. We're not going to look at those passages. They're actually sprinkled all through the law. You get these these prophetic style things that are said all through the law. Most of them are attributed to Moses. We don't know for sure if Moses wrote all of the law in there, but uh, they're sprinkled all through. But I will give you one to write down and look up on your own. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through 19, you'll see uh, how that is in there, okay? So I'll let you look at that on your own. But it's obviously a big deal, and they had been looking through, forward, forward to this from Moses even. So law of the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Now, Nathaniel responded, can any good come from Nazareth? Um, is he dissing there? Well, yeah, a little bit. Um, we don't get any reference that, like, Nazareth is a terrible town, you know, like a like a crime-ridden place or whatever. We don't get any, um, but there are a lot of these little towns that are close to each other, and it could make sense that there's some rivalry, kind of like you have your high school rivalries in different towns there as well. And, and Nathaniel lived in one and goes like, something good can come from that other town, you know? Um, that kind of thinking there. Whatever it is, we don't quite know, but Philip responds this way. Come and see. Come and see. It's just like this. It's like Philip going and saying, we have found what we've been looking for. We found all the way back from the prophets. We found it. And it's in Jesus from Nazareth. And you know what what Nathaniel's saying? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think you got this right. I mean, Nazareth, I I think you think you're wrong. And how does Philip respond? Come see for yourself. So fine, you come check it out. You come decide on your own. But don't just decide based on reputation. Actually, come experience and you see. You see yourself. Come and see. The greatest invitation we can ever offer someone is come and see. Psalm chapter 69, it's written this way. I'm sorry, 66. It's written this way. Come and see. So that is what Philip is inviting. Nathaniel, just come check it out. What are we finding here? It's simply an invitation of a friend. Most people come to know Jesus Christ at the invitation of a friend. And so when we put this in the category of, oh, that's the paperwork of it. I guess I got to do it, but, you know, don't enjoy it. We are missing out on this opportunity for somebody to come to know Jesus Christ. Now, when I became a Christian, um, God impressed this on me. I just, I liked it right away. And I went up the street, two doors up, and I shared Jesus with my friend Hank right away. And he became a Christian. Now, when I look back at it, I'm like, what in the world did I tell Hank in the driveway? What was that prayer like? I can tell you this. All I did was tell him everything I knew at that point about Jesus. And he said, yes. I probably know a lot more now. Maybe I could be more eloquent. Or maybe God needed me to speak it just like I spoke it that day. I don't know. But the invitation of a friend is powerful. It's powerful. In fact, I was thinking through the service the last few weeks. I've been so impacted in the service the last, this Sunday included, during worship, hearing like you shout things out and hearing, hearing amens and, and seeing people that, that you, you feel compelled to stand and raise your hand. Like I can sense God's doing something. And it's almost like there's this, this need or drive. I want to be close to God. I want to hear from God. Like I can sense that the last three weeks. Um, I, I say something like this, and, and can, I just, can I just say honestly, I would love also if 
God would lead us to the point that when we said something like, and we get the opportunity, the privilege of inviting a friend to know Jesus, if this hoot and hollering and praising would happen the same way, that God is using us in this way, the same way he used Pastor Mark to invite me to know Jesus, and I got to use, I got to speak to Hank and invite him to know Jesus. Chances are somebody invited you to church, to something where you got to know Jesus. Not a lot of people who don't know Jesus just roll into a church. They get invited. And so this is simply an invitation from a friend. So let's answer one more question, and then I want to give you a little takeaway, and we'll be done. Why are they called? Now, I would love to break this down, this last paragraph. We don't have time. There's some theological implications in this last paragraph that roll through. We just don't have time. So um, you work on that on your own this week. I'll give you some links in the email that you can go and learn more uh, in that uh, this week. But listen to what Jesus says to Nathaniel. Remember, Nathaniel's under a fig tree. Jesus somehow supernaturally sees him there and says, I saw you under the tree. Nathaniel's like, that's not possible. Well, he's Jesus. He did it, right? That's what's going on here. And so Jesus says, did you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Here's the verse. You will see greater things than these. You're going to see greater things than this. Now, the next verse actually prepares us for what's coming. We won't talk too much about it. You're going to see heavens open and the host of God going up and down. You know, basically means, look, you are going to see in me, you are going to see the work of God happening. You're going to, you're going to see it right in front of you in me. We're going to get to that starting next week. But he says, you'll see greater things than these. It's basically like this. He's saying, you think life is good? You think you, things are good right now? Buckle up. They're going to get amazing. You're going to see things you've never seen before. You're going to experience things you've never experienced before. Did you know most of the people that you invite to know Jesus? It will not be a choice between like totally down and out in life, just an absolute mess, you know, at the end of the road, or great life in Jesus. For most people, they're living what they think is pretty decent life. Oh, it's got its ups and downs, but it's pretty decent. They would call it, yeah, it's a good life. And you're saying, but life could be amazing. In Christ, there's something even better in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel right here. You're going to see things you've never seen before. That's why that. So no matter what a person has lived, life with Jesus is greater. That's what they're proclaiming. That's why they're called here by Jesus. Here's a couple takeaways, questions to ask this morning. Here's the first one. Who's directing you to follow Jesus? Who's your spiritual mentor? Who's the person you draw to that's challenging you to follow Jesus? Maybe it's a, a, a mature Christian. Maybe it's your pastor. Uh, maybe uh, your spouse is, is pushing on you in that area, your parents. But you need somebody in your life who's directing you to follow Jesus. Listen, not follow Jesus is in the one time. Come to know Jesus. You made the first decision to follow Jesus but to follow Jesus on a daily basis, day in and day out. Somebody who's willing to say, hey, let's sit down and talk about this situation because you, you got to take Jesus into that. And where we struggle sometimes as believers, we don't take our Christianity into all areas. And they don't always show up to us, but I guarantee they show up to someone else. 
And if you've got a mature Christian, let them speak into you. I'll tell you that. Here's the second one. Who are you going to invite along? Who is this? Here's what I want to challenge you to. Um, always have a list of five people that you're going to invite. Whether it's invite to church, invite into a conversation to talk about Jesus, invite into you know, an activity we're doing. We're going to do a game night at the end of the month. That's a pretty easy invite. Something like that. Always have a list of five people that you're going to invite. I know some of you are like, ah, I can't think of five people. Sit down and think harder. We all have five people. They're there. We just don't often think about people in our life that don't know Jesus as their Savior. And so always have a list of five people and be praying for them. If God opens up the door, invite them to come to church, to be with us. Listen, we're, we're beyond it in this service, are any COVID restrictions. So look around. You see the empty blue chairs? That's a person you need to invite. Invite to come along, and we'll pack this place out in, at 1030 service because you're praying for him, and God has called you to invite just the same way as Philip invited Nathaniel. And then finally, how much do you believe life is greater with Jesus? This is the most important one. If you're a believer in Jesus here today, you got to still believe every day and declare life is greater with Jesus Christ. Because there's sometimes when it won't be emotionally driven, sometimes it'll be discipline driven. And you're going to say, I'm going to keep doing this. It feels like a dry spiritual time. I'm going to keep doing this because life is greater with Jesus Christ. Or you're going to go out and you're going to want to share Jesus with somebody else. And you're going to be like, I feel so awkward. I don't know what to say. What if they ask me a question? All these reasons we don't do it. And you're going to say, because life is better with Jesus Christ. And I want them to know it. Always tell yourself that every single day. But hey, let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Lord, I, I look at it as a practical challenge. I'm studying it. I'm being challenged, Lord. I'm being challenged that I have family members that don't know you. And because there's 2,000 miles difference, it's easy for me to just step off it and not do anything about it. That's convicting to my heart, Lord. Lord, I, I would guess there's somebody in here that the first thing is they need to be directed by somebody. They need a spiritual mentor in their life. They need to allow themselves to be spoken into, not just from a stage on Sunday, but somebody who's relationally attached to them. If that's you, go after it this week. Just ask the person this week. Lord, there's somebody in here that's got a family member, brother, sister, mom, dad, whatever, that they need to extend an invitation. And it's awkward with family. And maybe it's just say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Lord, some of us, we just need to simply this week put ourselves in a position to hear from you. We walk out of here and we let busyness take over. Sabbath is done the moment I say amen up here and you're off to Scrambleville till next Sunday. And we don't give Jesus space. Some of you, just that's what you need to do. Just say, I'll give space this week. Every morning when I wake, stop for a time of prayer. Whatever time my alarm goes off, there's all different ways to do it. And then finally, and it's true for every one of us, what friend, what friend do you need to invite along? What friend do you need to invite to hear about this? As we're asking for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, Father, it would be selfish for us to say that's just for us who are in this room. It is also for our friends that don't need to know, or that don't know you as their Savior. Because you're going to hit us, and we're going to share it with them. So Lord, Reveal to us those names. Who is it? So, Father, send us out.
this week. And may you build us as disciples just as you build your, your 12. And may we also be ones that go and build other disciples and raise up other disciples. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Hey, well, I look forward to it this week. I want to pray for you in this area. Um, and I'm going to look forward next week to seeing some of those people you're, you're going to invite along, right? And see that next week. Hey, uh, let me share with you just a couple things that are going on. Celebrate recoveries tomorrow night, so mark that down. Good place to come. Um, it's all centered around your hurts, habits, and hangups. No reason to continue those on in your life. Come get some support and help, and that's what that ministry is all about. A midweek Bible study, uh, we had a, uh, that's Wednesday night. We actually, we had an awesome Friday night here. If you missed that, you got to mark next worship night. The place was, was pretty packed uh, on Friday night. Amazing time. So great job, team, that put that together. And, uh, and it was just a wonderful night uh, of prayer and, and singing. But I equally, as I sat there, thought, I want to see people open with their Bibles on Wednesday night. This place packed out the same because people want to be in God's Word, studying God's Word together. And so uh, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, that's a great opportunity for you to come and, and study the Bible. Um, game night on March 25th, that's a fun night, easy invite. We're, one of our goals this year is to get to know each other as well. And so you can come and, and uh, be a part of that or bring somebody along too, it'd be great. And then uh, Church Workday, April uh, 2nd, we'll be uh, hitting the spring and things will pop around here and we'll need to clean them up. So if you would mark that on your calendar and come be a part of that for a couple hours, would be great. And then finally, I just want to highlight Easter Sunday, April 17th. And you can already put into practice this idea of inviting, and Easter is still one of the top Sundays that somebody will come to church with you. Uh, so we're doing 9 and 1030, um, but I guarantee your friend or your family member, they will not be here if you're not here. Guaranteed. They won't be here. So if you want to see somebody in your life come to be a part of Easter, you got to make it a priority first and then start inviting as well. We'll work hard on the service and make it a, just an outstanding Sunday morning service, our two services uh, that week. But uh, mark that on your calendar on the 17th. We will do Good Friday. We'll talk more about that uh, later. So, sound good? All right. Well, Lord, bless you. Hey, hey, great job. Yeah, Pastor Eddie, what you got? Oh, thank you. That's a good one to remember. In the fall, we don't say anything because we want you at church early. But in the spring, we have to speak harshly to you about so changing your clock back. For some of you, I would say just change your clock back an hour. But there's some of you I'd say, you might want to go two, you know, um, or more, just to be sure, or forward, so forward. Some of you I'd say, maybe start Thursday, and it might, might help you, and, um, and we're not above making some phone calls, so from the stage, so that would be, I just thought of that, we could do that, right? We got the tech for that, all right, it's done, we'll do it, so it's going to be awesome, so yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it. Nobody will be answering their phone for weeks. For us, weeks. So, all right. The Lord bless you. Have a great Sabbath. We'll see you. See you this week. Give myself to you to speak to me once again, Lord, in this day. If you've never done that before, will you just quietly do the same thing? Offer yourself to the Lord that you might hear from Him today. Father, we thank you that we bring our petitions before you. And we again, we lift up Amanda. We're lifting up Lois. We're asking for full healing from this cancer.
Lord, we thank you that there are treatment plans and there's skilled doctors. And, but Lord, we're asking for your supernatural healing to be done in such a way, Lord, that it is clear it is your hand at work. Father, we pray for something that many might say, hey, routine hand surgery. But Father, we are asking for the supernatural in Robbie's surgery tomorrow. You would full, give him full healing and full movement again. Lord, is he, that's his livelihood. He works with his hands. Father, I lift up this gentleman who showed up just a couple days back and, and just made confession and then just made plea. And he was met with a group that directed him to you, Lord. May this morning, Lord, may all our hearts be directed to you in whatever we're dealing with or struggling with or going through. If there's any form of addiction in this room, substance or otherwise, Father, would we turn to you? Lord, there are wonderful therapy programs that you work through, but there is nothing designed to replace that we come to you and we seek of you new life, even in these areas. And then, Lord, finally, in a room this size, filled as it is, there are relational issues that need healing and restoration. There are husbands sitting next to wives that need some healing. Our parents and kids are somebody who's not here because of the relationship issue. Father, you're a God of community and you're a God of unity. So, Father, we're asking for healing and restoration. Lord, these things are accomplished when we offer ourselves before you and you lead and guide. We trust you and we pray it in your son's name. Amen. We're going to be singing a song now, which will be new to most of you, but it goes along with this phrase that we've been sharing with you and teaching you, is he worthy? He is. And you'll notice the style of the song, the, as the song leader sings, there's a question and then there's a response. And so this morning, I want to invite you, even if it's new and the words are on the screen and you're trying to follow words that you didn't know otherwise, that you would just come and you would respond with your whole heart in the words of the response. And as you pick up the other words, just join in fully, especially in the chorus, when we will declare what we have been declaring the last several weeks. Praise team, would you lead us? Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We, we do. do. Is all creation groaning? It is. 
is a new creation coming. It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Sing swimming. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's son and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He, he is. is. Amen. Is yes, you are, God. You are. Does the Father truly love us? He does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those He loves? He does. Does darn God intend to dwell again with us? Oh, yes. He, he does. does. Amen. Thank you, God. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue he has made us a kingdom and priest to god to reign with the sun because is he worthy is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory is he worthy is he worthy Is he worthy? Oh, he is. He is. He is worthy. Oh, he is worthy. Because he is. Yes, you are, God. Yes, oh, you are. give you praise. Yes, you are, Lord. Yes, Lord. You are worthy, Jesus. We worship you, God. You Sing this with me again. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? 
Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He's David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Every people and tribe, from every nation and tongue. He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. He is worthy. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Of this. He is. Oh, he is. Is he worthy? Oh, is he worthy? Oh, he is. Oh, he is. He is worthy. Oh, he is worthy, and he is. Yes, you are, Lord. He is. Yes, God, you're worthy. Give him a shout of praise. Give him a shout of praise. You are worthy, Jesus. Yes, you're worthy, God. You're worthy. Yes, God. Thank you, Father. No one like you, Jesus. Thank you. Father God, we just give you glory right now. God, you are worthy to open and break the seal, open the scroll. Lord, it said that John, when he saw that, he cried because no one was worthy. None except the Lamb of God who came to take the sin upon himself. Father God, thank you for raising your son. Thank you, Jesus for going through the pain and the scourge and the hurt and the rejection and everything that we felt and everything we feel you felt even more so because you took on all of the sin all of the pain all of the terrible things that's happened to people and all the things that's happened to us in our life you took all that and Lord you give us the opportunity to come to you Father God we worship you for sending your son. Thank you. Lord, your word says we can come boldly before the throne with confidence that we might obtain mercy and find help. Father, I pray right now for this congregation, everybody is celebrating all your saints all across this state, this country, and other countries are worshiping on you on your resurrection day. That, Lord, we will rise with you too. Lord, I pray for this congregation. Bless them. Bless them, God. Help them to feel and know that they can't walk out of this place, not be changed, not come in here and not be flooded with the Holy Spirit to go out and reach a dying and lost world for you, to tell them that you rose from the grave and death has no hold on you and has no hold on us. Father, we give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. 
And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat and let's, let's get into this. Uh, we have been walking through the last 10 weeks through the book of John. Well, John's one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been walking through John as a church. And so we're in chapter 4, just finishing chapter 4. And already we've discovered these things that even though the book of John has not got us to the crucifixion and the resurrection yet, We've already seen all this foreshadowing. Now, if you've been with us the last several weeks, you've been following this, then great. You're going to pick up on, on some things as I pull out that you've heard. If you're not, it's okay. I'm going to walk you through how what Jesus has is, is done so far in his ministry actually sets up this day. I was having a breakfast with a friend, um, Christian friend. We, we talk about a lot of things. We see stuff a little different, but we talk about this stuff, and we were talking about the crucifixion and resurrection, and he said, yeah, you know, something happened that day. I know something happened. And I'm like, no, everything happened. Everything happened through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because what Jesus came to do is to offer new life. And he understands that for anyone being offered something, there is always a barrier that prevents them from receiving it. And Jesus said, I'm doing away with that barrier, and I'll take it all upon myself. And that's what we celebrate today, this risen Lord. So I'm going to read this passage, and then I, I, let me tie it in, because as I read the passage, you'll go like, huh, how does that fit? So, but I'll tie it in for you. So take a look at your notes. If you, if you have them this morning, it'll be on the screen. If not, I always encourage you guys, bring your Bible or, or on your phone, if you're newer with us, there's great Bible apps. There's a website called BibleGateway.com. These are all helpful. John chapter 2 is what we're going to be in this morning. John 2, starting in verse 18, this is what the writer of John says. Then the Jewish leaders asked him, him is Jesus, okay? The Jewish leaders asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? By what miraculous sign will you show us? So he's just basically saying, hey, You've been doing some crazy stuff. You've been saying some, some bold things. By what authority do you say these things? Jesus answers. Now, if you don't know this, let me just tell you. This is one of those out of left field type of answers he's about to give them. They would not have expected what he's going to say at all. He says this, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Say what now, Jesus? The Jewish leaders re replied, it took 46 years to build this temple. And you raise it up in three days? But the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The word of God for the people of God. Hey, man, man, that's pretty impressive. You remember that. It's been a little while. Yeah. Listen, the end of this passage, you see what's happening? Jesus is saying, well in advance, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. And everybody's like, cuckoo. Um, and then today, Easter Sunday, like today, what we celebrate, the disciples go, oh, I get it. I understand now what he was talking about. He was talking about himself. 
Now, let's just do a little background so we understand uh, what we've got. Because even sometimes as Christians, you know, we'll ramble on with some Christianese language. And in the end, we're like, what did I really just say? So let's just, let's just put it together here and make sure we understand what's going on. Understanding the temples, the first thing we want to we know. Way back in 2 Samuel, this is an Old Testament, this is a Hebrew scriptures passage towards the beginning of your Bible, all right? In 2 Samuel chapter 7, a guy named David, who you might be familiar with, is talking, and David says this, look, I'm living in a cedar palace, but God's chest is housed in a tent. What does that mean? David is saying, listen, look at what I live in. I live in a mansion with the best wood available to build this. And God is housed in this tent outside. And the tent was the tabernacle. And it was a mobile carriage for the Ark of the Covenant. And it was always in disrepair. And so they constantly had to work on fixing it. And here David has moved into the promised land. They've put up some great houses now. And yet God's still in the chest. So David's like, this doesn't make sense. We got to build God something good. And God says, look, I'm kind of fine. You know, I'm not all into palaces. But David persists, and God says, okay, but you're not going to do it. Your son can do it. And they build this amazing temple. And so what we find is immediately the temple served as the center place for, to worship God. That was the place that you would go and you would worship God. Important thing to remember about the temple when it was a tent, that wasn't the place that God's presence was housed that was the place that God's presence radiated from. So it started and it went out. That was their understanding. God's presence went everywhere, but that's where it began. That's how they would think about that. And so now the temple is built, and this is a place where they go to worship God, this amazing, magnificent temple, right? And they go and they worship God there. But a dangerous thing started to, to, to seep up. They started to think not that God's presence began here in the temple and went out to all the earth. They started to think God's presence was confined to the temple. That's where it was. We'll go to the temple, we'll get a little God in here, and then we'll get out here and we'll just do life, you know, whatever. God understands this is going to happen. Second King, or First Kings 9, now he's talking to Solomon, who's David's son, right, who's building the temple, and this is what he says, if you or your sons turn away to worship other gods, I will remove my hand from Israel and get this, forsake the temple. He says, listen, Solomon, if I catch you thinking that I'm locked up in here and I don't know what's going on out there and you're just living life, you know, up and that you just think I'm confined here, guess what? All deals off. Now, I'll burn this place to the ground, what he said, Right? He doesn't say it in those words. But we, the temple is destroyed later. God's words do come true because of this thinking. So God can be worshiped at the temple, but he's not confined to the temple. That's our understanding there. So because of this, the whole practice of going to the temple, what you would first do when you went to the temple, especially during festival time, the temple was a place to bring your offerings. You would bring offering to the Lord. So you got a new neighbor move in, right? And you go down to meet the new neighbor. What do you do? You, I don't know, you take them a pie or you take them something, right? Take them a housewarming. You do something like that. They would come to the temple and they would offer their offerings to the Lord. 
And there was always a different offering dependent on the festival. The festival of, you might be familiar with some of these. If not, let me just geek out for a second. The festival of tents or booths, all right, Purim would go on as well. And now, what are we celebrating this week? It would be Passover. So this festival is going on. And the first thing that you would bring for Passover when you celebrate this, because you're what you're celebrating in Passover is freedom and new life. God delivered way back in the Old Testament. He delivered his people out of captivity in Egypt into new life in the promised land. So that's what they're celebrating, freedom and new life. So the first thing that you would bring to God as an offering is your first fruits. Bring first fruit offering. You know what a first fruit offering is? The best. The best of something you have to offer. So if you have, I don't know, for us, we think often in income, you'd kind of give God like that first uh, chunk. But if you're, if you're like them, if you have cattle, you're going to bring your best to the Lord. Let's say you say, no, I work with grain. You're going to bring your best grain to give to the Lord. You're not going down in the basement and finding that old tube TV and saying, maybe the youth group could use that at the church. No, we, we can't. <laughs> so it'll be on the curb. You would bring your best. And here's what it would signify if you brought your first fruits. It would signify that you're offering yourself to God. When you brought your first fruits, your best, you're saying, I'm offering myself because it's a sacrifice to bring your best. I'm offering myself to you, God. Here am I. If you didn't bring your best, if you just brought something clunky laying around, you weren't offering yourself to the Lord. But first fruits signified offering yourself. So the temple's main purpose was a place where people would come to offer themselves to God. They would come to temple and say, Lord, this is me. I offer myself to you. Lord, I give myself to you. And we think sometimes, because we read some stories, that we're talking about pious, high religious people, you know, uppity. No, you're, the, the picture is people who are coming and they're crying out before God. They're bowing before God. They're offering themselves to God. The temple was designed to be that place that they would come. Here's the problem. In Jesus' day, this wasn't happening. It wasn't going on. In fact, I know some of you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books of the Bible we call the Gospels. And if you know those, you might know that there's this lot of interactions between Jesus and religious leaders, and most of those interactions are not very good. You know, they're arguments or confrontations or they're trying to trick Jesus or these type of things, or they go away and they grumble and they think, how do we kill this guy? You know, that's the kind of interaction going on. Um, and so a lot of what Jesus is critiquing in the religious leaders is that what they are there to do to offer blessing and to help people worship, they are not doing. Instead of saying, I want to offer blessing and help you worship, they are heaping judgment on them. They're heaping legalism on them. They're making anything that resembles faith such a burden to carry out. And then they're kind of figuratively lashed out against if they don't get it just right in the religious leader's eyes. Jesus comes and says, how is that paving a way for people to offer themselves and to receive from God? And he, this angers Jesus. So Jesus says this, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. 
couple verses later, he says, but the temple Jesus, or was our, the writer of John says, the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. You got to understand what Jesus is saying in simple statements like that. The temple is replaced as the place of offering by Jesus himself. Jesus is saying that this temple, what it was designed to be is good. But that's not going to happen. I offer myself that people might come to know God, to be blessed, to offer themselves to God through me. Jesus replaces this system. Jesus says, come to me, offer yourselves. I give myself to you. And I give you what he says over and over, new life. And listen, I get it. Clichés never help anybody, right? Did you ever go through a hard time and somebody gave you a cliche or two, you know, a little, you know, the company line, a couple of those, and you're like, thank you so much. That was so meaningful. We, rarely do we say that. We trust their heart and we're thankful for their heart. So that phrase, new life, sometimes, that's what it becomes sometimes for us in the Christian world. Oh, new life, new life, new life. And, and it's just like a cliched line. But that's what Jesus came to offer. And listen, think about it in terms of miracles, all right? You know some of the miracles that, that went on in the Bible? Like if you stood, you'd probably rattle off one or two, even if you don't remember where it's at, all right? Like these miracles, they're not just in there. They're not just there so that somebody gets healed. And they're not just there so people would go, wow, Jesus can do that? I guess I'll believe. Every one of these miracles is a representation of what Jesus came to offer people, you and I. The blind man's healed. Like Jesus saying, look, you have sight. I came that you might see, that you might see God and see how God wants to work in your life. The crippled man was able to walk, that you might have strength under you and you might be able to walk in God's ways and understand that path, a better path. And Lazarus is raised from the dead as if Jesus is saying, like, I come that, to offer you new life even if you feel dead where you're at. If you, even if you feel spiritually dead, I came to offer new life. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he came to offer. And when I think of the church, I think the church is a place to offer yourself to God. The purpose for the church is to open up avenues that you might offer yourself to God, that you might be able to come and say, Lord, this is me. I offer myself to you this morning. Speak to my heart. You might do that in crying out form because life is rough. You might be longing for something because relationship is broken somewhere. There might be a physical need. And on and on and on. The church is designed as a place where you can meet Jesus. Just the same way as the temple was supposed to continue to be. You could come and you can offer yourself over to the Lord. And if the church ever got in the way of that, may Jesus speak to us the same way he spoke to the religious leaders. Lord, this is me. Even in my brokenness, even in my incompleteness, even the times where I question you and I ask, how can that be? Even the times where it looks like I'm still searching, Lord, and I don't have it all together, or the times where I'm prideful, Lord, 
and I, it appears that I'm saying, I don't need you. I'm fine on my own. Here I am, Lord. I offer myself. He will always meet you in that. Always. We come and we offer ourselves before him. So a place that we would offer ourselves. The question has been, is he worthy for you? Is he worthy for you? For you to offer yourself to? Here's a takeaway, a couple questions to think about. Here's the first one. What are you currently offering yourself to? We offer ourselves to all kinds of things. But I mean, when you wake up and you start your day, what do you offer yourself to throughout your day or throughout your week? If you're a little curious, maybe look at your schedule. Look at your time. That might give you a little indicator. Maybe step back and ask the question a little more broad. What is my family offering ourselves to? What do we offer ourselves? What is that, what's that doing? How's it going? What's the return on that? And then a, a more personal question that relates to today. What would prevent you from offering yourself over to the Lord? over to Christ, who's now put himself in a spot to go before and offer ourselves to him. I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, I don't quite have that right. I've got some things to figure out uh, still. I don't even know what I think about Jesus and God still. You know what? That's fine. He can handle all of it. Nobody's saying, hey, come as Billy Graham today before the Lord, because I don't think any of us feel like we're up on that level, right? We just come and we offer who we are. What would prevent you from offering yourself to the Lord? Have you ever considered that? In the quietness of your heart, just say, Lord, I offer myself to you. I offer myself to you. Here's what I think we do sometimes. Is we come to church and we offer ourselves. The Lord moves and we can hear it. But then we offer and then we get out here and it's like, all right, what's next? On to the next thing in life. Just move on, you know. And we compartmentalize what's going on just as the Lord spoke to Solomon way back. But what if we offered ourselves and you walked out of here today and then you said, all right, Lord, I want to reinterpret what I will encounter today. The relationships, how I'll think, what I'll do, the circumstances that are going to come my way. They won't all be smooth this week, right? I'm going to reinterpret all of that because I've said I offer myself to you, and I'm going to give you this opportunity to direct me differently. The final question would be, what would prevent you from getting plugged into church? Listen, I understand some of you, you've had a painful past in a church or from a believer. You've had somebody that maybe has treated you a certain way or has drawn a picture that looks other than what I described the purpose of temple and the purpose of church. And you were hurt and you walked away. You were like, I didn't want to have anything. And, and you know, I was, I'd probably be right there with you. But what would prevent you from getting plugged into a church who's saying our purpose, our purpose is to usher you in, to bless you, and to give you avenue to offer yourself before God? And then when you do, to help you, to guide you along, to mentor you along, as the religious leaders were to do when people offered themselves. What would prevent that? I know the things, schedule probably. There's other things, but you have to go before the Lord. 
I want to pray for you this morning, and, and I want to just allow you just a little time there. Maybe you're, you're newer in church, somebody invited you along, you're here this morning, but you don't have to be. You also could have been here 30 years, right? Well, the church isn't that old, but you could have been in church 30 years, right? Here's a great opportunity for all of us just to offer ourselves to the Lord as we go in prayer. And then let him direct us out of here reinterpreting what we deal with in life based on that offering. Let's bring our first fruits. Let's pray. Father, just open up the door. Father, I just set the stage for anybody here, Lord, that wants now to come before you and say, Lord, I offer myself to you. I offer myself right in the middle of my brokenness, hurt, pain, doubt, questions, selfishness, whatever. I offer myself to you. Go ahead if that's you, just just quietly in your head if you want to do that. Jesus actually says when we offer ourselves, he's willing to come and take up home right in us, to dwell in us. And this doesn't mean church wouldn't be important to keep coming and offering and being a part of community, but there's this, there's this Christ that goes with us everywhere we go. And so, Lord, we pray that you would send us out and we would relook at life and circumstances differently because you go with us. And, Lord, we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, right in front of you, um, there is a card. It's just a communication card. It's blue and red. And uh, I know this is a time in life for a lot of people at Easter season where it's kind of a new beginning. It's a restart, a refocus, or uh, maybe you just say, hey, I, I, I kind of stepped off of that for a while. Um, I would love to hear about that. I would love to pray for you. And if you want to get together for you know, coffee or talk through some of this, um, would be great. Um, it's very difficult to walk this alone. And so to have somebody with you that can kind of encourage you along, and that's my job as a pastor, to bless and encourage you along and help you have the tools that are needed for this, uh, this offering over to the Lord that you might have done today. So you can take those cards. You can simply write your name, your contact, and whatever you want to share with me. There's two giving boxes outside in the foyer. If you would just drop them in those or hand it to me direct outside would be great. So if you're newer with us or maybe your first time here, um, we'd love to connect with you a, a little bit more. So if you're willing to come to uh, the table outside that says new here and we've got a gift for you. And if you're willing to give us a little information, we can let you know what's going on here at the church uh, in the coming weeks and down the road as well. So we'd love to connect that way. So see me outside. Uh, on your way out. Hey, a couple things that are going on. Tomorrow morning, you'll get a prayer text that lets us know how to pray for you. Anything going on in your life that we can pray for, uh, we'd love to do that. If you're like, hey, I'm not getting prayer texts or I'm new here, uh, again, just use one of the communication cards and let us know, and I'll add you to that prayer text list so you can let us know how we can be praying for you uh, in this coming week. Tomorrow night, really significant, is our Celebrate Recovery Ministry. Uh, we always talk in terms of the hurts, habits, and hangups. Anything like that in your life, anything that is preventing you from really being able to walk in the new life that Christ has to offer. And that's often the case. There are these barriers that are tough to step through. This ministry, it's a group of people that are designed to help you walk through that. And they're all walking through it themselves. So uh, it's not like you come and you'll be alone, right? 
Um, so great ministry tomorrow night at 7 o'clock here. And sometimes we think, well, my, my thing is real small compared to maybe somebody else's. Listen, if it's a hurt habit or hang up, it's big, and you need a community to walk through it with. Um, tomorrow night, our director, Tom, will be uh, sharing his testimony. So good time to come tomorrow night and hear his story. 7 o'clock is right here in the sanctuary uh, tomorrow night. Uh, midweek is, it happens too. It's another way you can plug in to get in Bible study and community, your youth, your, your kids, uh, men's prayer group. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. But not this Wednesday night, as it's spring break and everybody will be off. You are welcome to come, but you'll be communing with God very reflectively by yourself, um, which may be powerful, so if you want to come, but uh, we won't be here. So, But the week after that, midweek, will continue, and it'll be great. We've got, uh, there's a ministry called Church Under the Bridge, which mainly reaches out to the homeless community in Greensboro, and it's exactly what it sounds. It's a worship service under a bridge uh, down in Greensboro, and we're going to be putting on the worship service on April 30th, and we want to invite you guys to come out, and it's really important that a church is always involved in the needs of a community, and here's one more way that we can do it, and uh, maybe you've been looking for a church, you're new to church, and you want to know, you know, does the church, you know, do they... Do they step up and do what they always preach? And we're trying to get out there and do even more. And here's another opportunity to come and to be involved. So if you'd like to join us for that, that'd be great. One of the ways, though, we're helping is we're filling out these needs packs for the homeless. And if you go to the welcome table on your way out, you'll see there's a little card with the items. And you can simply bring a bunch of those items and we'll put them together. Or you can put together your own little bags based on that card and bring them to church next week. So, oh. Yes. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Next Sunday we'll we'll need those those in, or you'll have to bring them during the week after that. So, hey, finally, for those of you who are regular attenders at Wendover Hills, next week is our annual uh, church business meeting. Um, so that's about 20, 25 minutes. We, we present the budget and uh, our board members as well, and then you vote on those and time to ask questions or anything like that. That happens next Sunday right after this service, the 1030 service. So mark that on your calendar. All right. Well, the Lord bless you. Is he worthy? Yes. Go forward. Have a great Easter Sunday.